Hello and welcome to the Super Show podcast. I am your host, Alex Jones, and with me, as always, is the very knowledgeable, the industry... I'm trying to think of a good word. Jamie, I've messed up. The industry titan of gaming uh, is Jamie. Hello, Jamie. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing very well. You wouldn't be the first person to call me that, nor will you be the last, because if, if I continue to refer to myself as that, I'm sure it will catch on eventually. Oh, the Titan as well. I love that. It's a great, it's a great uh, phrase to use to describe you. You are big in the game and in the game. Well, as he, now I feel like we're getting into fat shaming territory, and I, I really wish you hadn't gone there, Jonesy. Like, did I have a massive burrito that is not sitting particularly well with me right prior to recording this podcast? Yes. Do we need to let the world know? No. I had a burrito too. What are the chances? Really? And you also have Mexican rice in it that you're some that you're now you're having your gut question for the next few hours. No, no Mexican rice, but I did put hot sauce into it. Mine was a homemade burrito. Uh, made it, made it for for the fam. Made some burritos and tacos because it's Taco Tuesday. We're a little bit late this week. We're uh, a day late. Um, so thank you for joining us, anyone who is out there joining us in um, YouTube land for the live version of this. Uh, we are on YouTube and Twitter at Super Show Pod, but also available in on podcasting platforms. I'm talking Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts, and we're on PaisleyRadio.com as well Thursdays at 10 p.m. Um, but with all that good stuff out of the way, I also, Jamie, have two super chats that I want to uh, give a little shout out. They were from Ooh. last week because we weren't yeah. live last week. We were pre-recorded, not like this week. Um, so we got two that came in from uh, one from Brimstone who said, I really don't know how to feel about this product. The fact is it's a tablet with a controller glued onto it. It just distresses me for some reason. And that was in reference to the PlayStation portal and some of the um, the reveals we had for the device. I totally get what he means. It is very much a, a tablet with like half a control, like a controller that's been kind to oh. glued on the edges. Yeah, even ignoring all the pros and cons that we went through on last week's episode, if you just focus on the aesthetics of the PlayStation Portal, I can see why there would be something quite distressing about it to to certain individuals, because it does look like a homebrew piece of kit that's been sort of like MacGyvered together with a dual sense and a small tablet. I maybe I'm alone. I like it. I think it looks smart. Like I think I said this on on last week's show. Like I I do think it looks like a cool bit of kit. But I when the people have said, "Hey man, it looks like." someone has cobbled this together i'm like yeah i can kind of see that as well um i did also i should clarify we didn't mention this last week and a few people have then questioned it and the one indeed a very good friend of the show of course chris uh who mentioned this in um our whatsapp group was that there's a little bit of confusion around the fact that playstation are bringing out their own link headphones and um, so this is like their version of bluetooth you won't be able to use normal bluetooth headsets with this you're going to have to buy sony's proprietary tech to get some wireless audio in there um it does have a 3.5 mil jack for traditional headphones which is something we didn't say last week but apparently some people don't think it's got that they think it's just wireless and that you have to buy these new headphones i think chris said like what the hell do you have to play this on mute and i was like okay i do have to mention this week that you don't have to play it on mute you can plug some good old old school headphones into it yes which is important important clarification but still like the fact that there is no traditional bluetooth support for the massive range of bluetooth headphones and headsets that people now have as a result of you know the way that mobile devices in particular have moved in recent years does feel a little bit outrageous i'll be honest i watched an mkbhd short uh about this very uh issue just prior to us going live or rather recording last week but it just felt like 
you know when something feels a level of nerd above the level that even we operate on that yeah. i just i'm not going to bring it up because i'll yeah. probably butcher it or say something wrong so no no i get you totally um uh, we do have one more super chat as well this one comes in from pastors guild and i'm going to leave this and i'm not going to explain it one little bit uh but pastors guild just said um made it uh, as in attending the podcast last week my bum hurts but getting that dollars jamie so there you go yeah what's great is that i've actually forgotten what this reference is to myself so i can only imagine the pastors guild frequents the same burrito place that i do and the mexican rice was just as spicy that day as it was this afternoon shall i remind you that you don't remember so I had, do i want reminding because again like people's bums can hurt for any number of reasons let's be adults about this uh no it was it was actually much tamer than that it was in reference to um a new feature which we are going to do at the beginning of each month which you did very well last week and um, which was to give oh. people a little rundown of games that are coming out in the in the following month and you and i said we'll do that for free like we don't have you don't have because he said how much do i have to super chat and I said, we'll do it for free. That's a great idea. Then at the beginning of every month, we can say these games are coming out. And you said, no, I want $2,500 in a super chat before we do that. And he said he'd have to walk the street a lot in order to get that. Uh, there we go. I mean, go. he's made a little bit of a dent in it with that super chat. Pass the still a long way to go. So keep walking those streets. Keep hustling. But um, appreciate the appreciate the shift. And soon to appreciate the money. Yes. Um, I haven't. I've been very silly. I haven't rearranged our news stories this week into the order I want to chat about them. But it seems to make complete sense, Jamie, that we do the thing that people like it when we do and don't like it when we don't do is to go with the uh, titled top story first. <laughs> that would make a lot of sense. Um, yeah. So we're going to... Sorry. It's like, oh, no, I was going to say, because there's always like, for as much as we do have a pretty regular crowd who stop by, whether it's like on the live stream or on the audio version, whatever it is, there's always a few stragglers who clearly just get the most random of YouTube recommendations and click on this video enticed by your mastery of the the worlds of both title and thumbnail, Jonesy, only to realize they're watching a two hour long video and they're like, and they say, when do they get to the bit that I know that they're going to get to? It's now. Yeah. When do we get to the bit? I actually clicked on this for um, to, to check out. It's now. We're going to do it now. Um, do you know what? In the past, we haven't done it straight away. And the reason is because I was. it's like a paper or a magazine. You don't want to give away the goods first because then people listen and then they just go. And so we used to talk about the other stories first. But no, we're going to do the good stuff first. So we will later on uh, be talking about um, Valve deleting 90,000 Smurf accounts. And we will also talk about Volition being closed down. But first up, we need to talk about Starfield because the reviews dropped. Um, what day was it? Mun knows. Saturday? Oh my it goodness, was, I can't even I, remember. I think it might have even been Thursday. Or was it Thursday the 31st? Because I think that might have been when Early Access went live. Because it was kind of tied in. Do you remember, like, the, review, the reviews dropped and then the next day people who ordered the like the premium edition or the Constellation edition, whatever it was, and that was could the, get their Early Access. Yes, no, I think you are right. That was And that was the first, wasn't it? So yeah, no, it would make sense. It was the 31st. Um, yeah, it was an interesting one. I think when we went into um, that sort of end of the embargo, um, there was already a little bit of war of words on on X because you had some people that were saying that it was going to be, you know, the best game ever. And you had some people saying boring walking simulator or like boring, uh, you know, you can't walk completely around a planet. And this is where we were at last week um, is the sort of things we were discussing. But now, as of now, the reviews have come out and uh, it is currently sitting at an 86 um, and an 88, so an 86 on Xbox Series X and P a PC version's got an 88, so 
Very close together. Let's call it 87 for ease. There we go. Boom. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, which is a very good score. Like at 87, you know, it's just under it's just under that 90. Um, but it doesn't feel quite as clean cut. As yeah, it, that, yeah, as it sure. should be right. Is it, for some reason, and I'm, I'm not trying to be like unfair here, but yeah, for some reason, it feels like an 86 with an asterisk. The reason being, um, well, we're going to get to it. Yeah, let me throw out some more sort of stats and some figures, and then we'll have a chat about it. Um, so Starfield, when we were just talking about those um, early access players, uh, it's already hit a uh, high of 230,000 concurrent players on Steam in its first two hours, which is, you know, pretty crazy given that you're talking about pre-order people and people with um, those special editions. Um, it was the sixth highest peak of concurrent users on Steam um, in the past 24 hours, even though the game hasn't even come out. So it doesn't actually come out until tonight, at, um, you know, midnight, six o'clock, six o'clock, sixth of September, um, but like midnight tonight. I'm hoping, because I'm kind of hoping that we finish this podcast and then I can head over there and have a little have a little play but we'll find out Indeed. um but what made it a little bit strange was some of the big hitters um when it comes to review scores didn't give it an 86 didn't even give it an 80 we're talking 70s from GameSpot uh and from IGN which have to be disappointing surely for um Bethesda and for Xbox I guess so it's funny because traditionally I'd have I'd have suggested that like a publisher or a developer wouldn't particularly care about reviews from an individual outlet because reviews from an individual outlet represent the reviews and opinions of an individual person. Much you know, so it's even less relevant to the bigger picture. And review aggregation and Metacritic scores have become so important, even on an industry level. I mean, we hear stories all the time about uh, studios or developers that are contracted to certain games, and you know, achieving certain scores on Metacritic are actually you know that's written into contracts nowadays. That's the point that we've reached. So I still feel like the big overall number is more important, but when you talk about both GameSpot and IGN both going a certain way, and that way being perhaps slightly under expectations, um, it, it, it's interesting, and it becomes more noteworthy when, again, the average is you know sitting at a very very respectable eighty six, and you think about like the the landscape is such that if you took IGN and GameSpot out of that entirely, which I'm sure there are a lot of of the more hardcore Xbox fanboys would love to do, um, you end up with an even higher average, but such the nature of maths from, if I remember anything from being at school, Jonesy. Um, and so like, I actually don't know whether or not they care that much. I do think that there are some individuals that are feel a little bit bummed out. Like there's a guy whose name, I believe it's Aaron Greenberg, who I think works in kind of like the social and community side of Xbox. And he did one of those things where he was sort of like posting or I can't remember if he was posting or reposting, one of those tweets that you know grab every single review score and like try and kind of get a given overall picture of what the critical landscape for a game is, and very noticeably left GameSpot and IGN off that list. When you're leaving the two biggest websites, gaming websites, I should clarify, in the world off a list of review scores, you're very intentionally trying to either obscure the fact that they got those scores from those outlets, or you're not happy with those outlets and you don't want them on this what is essentially piece of PR material. So I reckon there are absolutely people at Bethesda that care, but bot important bottom line is is that the high 80s for a Metacritic or an open critic score, I'm sure was the ballpark target. And they got that. I'm, I think they should be pleased in that sense. It's funny. I would love to know what um, their contract says 
that would that well, you know that'd be really interesting to actually know. Um, they probably they probably don't have one. Like contracts are usually when you're outsourcing, right? So like it was when, for example, Fallout New Vegas, ironically, was one where Obsidian were kind of brought into the fold by Bethesda to develop that. Um, and you often get sort of um, Metacritic scores with bonuses attached to them in those kind of contracts. But I mean, this is Bethesda um, self-publishing, so there, there wouldn't there wouldn't have been such a. But I very much doubt Microsoft is implementing like review score bonuses on Bethesda. Like I see, I would I wouldn't be surprised at all. Like if the if, to be fair, it's not going to be it won't be in the same way. But surely, like there's some end of year bonuses tied because then they're Xbox employees, right? So there's going to be I mean, there's surely going to be some end of year. Bonuses talking about like yeah, end of year bonuses and employee bonuses, maybe. It feels brutal. Um, I think it's like, it, I, like, I'm least surprising thing ever if that's the case. I don't know. I, I I put it this way: I have I have not had I have not seen or witnessed any first-hand experience of employee bonuses being tied to Metacritic scores. I have worked in environments where employee bonuses are dished out based on other more manageable and sort of like less unpredictable um, uh, variables. In my experience. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I wanted to give a little bit of a, uh, you know, a bit of a grounding as to where this kind of falls within um, sort of other Bethesda titles, um, because I think you know a lot. Some people have called this, uh, "Hey, it's Fallout Four in space." Um, some people have said it's mm. not as good as you know, it's not as good as Fallout Three. Don't expect it, um, you know, to to be thinking up there. So let's just give it a little bit of, um, you know, where it sits in that lot. So Fallout Three, which I will say, like is a is my bethesda game of all time like i absolutely love fallout 3 introduced me to the genre um and even with its issues with you know it's bad combat etc fantastic storyline um, world building and all that so that's a, a 91 um you've then got fallout new vegas which is often touted as being even better than fallout 3 not one personally i played yep. but is a, a real fan favorite so that's an 84 um and then you've got fallout 4 which is uh between an 84 and an 87 um uh also we'll average and 88 on xbox so let's call that an 86 um so that is level pegging with starfield which i think kind of gives it hey, a little hang on jonesy you're, you're you're doing fake you're fake newsing us i you didn't do any of the elder uh, scrolls games oh no i haven't done any of the elder scrolls games no because i because yeah, skyrim has to be mid 90s right i can't remember but i guess the only reason i haven't is because um it's I think every uh, all the comparisons I've seen are much more Fallout than, but we can do Elder Scrolls. Uh, that, yeah, that, that, ah. that, that's just because that's because just because of genre, like so, and like thematic genre, not the, gameplay genre. No, you're absolutely right. You are right. Skyrim is tricky because it has been released a total of three thousand two hundred seventy-eight times on different platforms. This is true. Let's let's review the definitive version, which is the Amazon Echo version. <laughs> Echo version. I'm trying to find. Okay, so on PC. Uh, in 2011, yeah. Elder Scrolls got a 94. Um, okay. I, w I will also say that the 360 version, which I feel like would have been the de facto version that was reviewed at the time, got a 96 okay. based on 89 critics, which is three times as many as reviewed the PC. So that's, again, that, that that's best game of all time territory. And I think that kind of is consistent with how most people still feel about Skyrim to this day. With some dissenting voices in the mix. Oh, like the fact that people still talk about Skyrim and how amazing it is, absolutely, is you know, is, is ridiculous. I think I see. I have a little bit of a theory here that some of the big outlets like IGN, Gamespot, have maybe been burnt by uh, the situation with Cyberpunk and coming out and taking a game which you know wasn't perfect and just going, "Hey, it's a one hundred out of ten. 
uh, sorry, 100 out of 100. Um, Pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, very so impressive. So now it does it again. Um, and maybe they're trying to position themselves in being like, no, look, it's a good game. We're trying to be realistic um, and by giving it a good score. But then we bump into the constant argument or constant question when it comes to reviews is, is 7 out of 10 good or is 7 out of 10 bad? Yeah. Which, uh, again, like, so I, uh, I've been glancing over at chat every now and then, and um, I want a quick shout out to, to Shellshock, who said, if I've learned anything from Starfield, it's that I absolutely hate the gaming sphere as a whole now. And as someone who has tried to spend, actively tries to spend as little time on platforms like X as possible, but, you know, inevitably avoids doing so and ends up living on there um, in, in any downtime I get from work. Like, yeah, it's been horrible. Like, this has been amongst the most horrible times as a as someone whose for you page is tailored to video games to be on that platform for about as long as I can remember, it's not the critics' fault. Um, it's not that you know there's anything particularly noteworthy even about IGN or GameSpot's reviews or the consensus. As you and I were joking about before the podcast even started, the consensus is that Starfield's good. Like there's no confusion whatsoever. Yeah, like 86, 88, great fucking scores. Yeah, two people who reviewed it said it was good, not great. Or maybe good, but not you know good, but not quite great kind of thing. But who cares? The problem comes down to something. I think it was Jason Schreier I saw say, it, and maybe this is a little bit too heady, but I kind of get what he was talking about, where he said that um, language depends on or relies on shared definition, and gamers do not have a shared definition of what a seven out of ten is. That's such if a you, good point. If you if you if if you think a game is going to be absolute cack. Like it looks like a fucking disaster, and it gets a seven out of ten. You, when Dead Island Two gets a seven out of ten, you might, uh, you're like, oh my god, how did they pull that out of the bag? When Cyberpunk 2077 gets a seven out of ten, you're like, this is the biggest catastrophe um, since you know I, I, I lost a loved one. Like this is life altering stuff, and I don't know what to do with myself. I'm in pieces. My entire psyche is shattered. It's it's, it's funny actually. It's almost like it, it's. It's all relative. It's like if you're walking through, you know, um, uh, if there was if there was a competition and people were trying to win, you know, the most unattractive person of the year award, and you're walking around and someone said, "Well, you know, how does he look? How does she look?" and you went, "Oh, they look all right," and you know yeah. that that's that's like, "Oh, that's that's not what you want." But hey, they look all right in in this environment. But you then go to like a, a Victoria's Secret show, and then you say, "Someone looks all right." They probably look absolutely ridiculously good. Like it's all relative. Yeah. It's, it's very it's, it's all relative. relative. It's all relative. As as Rodrigo in the chat points out, I think that's why a lot of modern reviewers moved away from the number scoring system. And I totally agree. I think more and more outlets have realized over the years that actually sometimes it, being definitive in that way and getting it all down to a number just muddies the waters. It really does. And there's so many games you play that actually uh, giving them a score, if you were being honest, would the scores wouldn't sound amazing. But then you say to people, yeah, but you've got to play it. Like, it's such a good game. Um, and this is true, but I always remember a conversation I had with uh, our old mate, John Bapp, about his yeah. favorite film, which I believe was Stand By Me. Um, but when we then talked about, like, what would you give that out of 10? And he was like, oh, I'd give it like an eight. And we're like, have you watched 10 out of 10 films? And he's like, absolutely. Like, they have, they not better as films? And he's like, no, they're not my favorite film. They're not as good as... Which is that thing. Is oh. You can absolutely yeah. have a film which isn't a 10, be your favorite film and watch a film which you would rate higher. Because those it doesn't have to be the same, right? And I've I've actually heard, totally. but the interesting thing is going to your point about reviewers swearing off of number systems is 
and I, and I said this before the show, and you questioned me about it. We re- like rightfully to do so. I think I said the review scores around this around Starfield have been muted, and you were like, "But they haven't. It's been reviewed really well." But I think the thing that what I was referring to was I'd I've actually watched a number of reviewers who didn't give it a score, and a lot of them said things like, "This system's really good, but the inventory system's not very good. The game's kind of boring." I didn't have as good a time doing Ella. And they, the, the way, the, the feel I got from them was that they weren't having a great time. And they were saying, hey, it's a good game. It's a good game, but it's not a great game. And so I suppose that's, I got that feel from people. But you then look at Metacritic, OpenCritic, Rotten Tomatoes, all of those things. And this is game's damn good. And most people are having a great time with it uh, and really like it, really enjoy it. Yeah. I think it, 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 I think it's going to depend on who those people are that you're seeing. Like, if you were talking about the fact that most of the people you were coming across that gave you that feeling that things were muted were from the kind of the streaming or the content creation side of things, I might agree with you. Like a lot of the more high profile opinions that I've seen from streamers that have played this game enough to to finish it have been slightly more to muted, as you've said. I think there have been some of them who have, you know, really quite liked it, but a lot of them um, haven't. And and I think also what we've seen a lot of is people want to get different things from this game. And there's a lot of people who have arrived at Starfield as unabashed or unashamed uh, Bethesda RPG fans and have liked indulging in the kind of systems that have been present in their games since, in some cases, Morrowind. And that those things are never going to change and people don't want them to change. People want to, like, murder someone, jump in a pond and have someone from the you know security swim them up to them and then get locked in this fucking you know, <laughs> I, you know it's like in a conversation where they're like you violated the law and then you have to agree to go to prison or pay a fine or people don't want that stuff to change some people do um some people really value you know the deep the main story quest of an rpg and you know the writing or the narrative that kind of you know runs through the middle of that some people slightly less so that's why you're going to get people who we've already discuss this again off air a little bit you know people who are like yeah you need to mainline the main quest because actually starfield really gets going in new game plus and then you also get people who are like i'm 120 hours in and i haven't done the second main story quest yet because i don't want to because i just found a planet that has a banana on it and i picked up that banana and i put it on my ship and that's (laughs) it was like okay yeah no like to each their own but when you create something this big um and this sort of like expansive, versatile, diverse, whatever kind of adjective you want to use, different people are going to get different things out of it. That's going to lead to a wide-ranging set of opinions, and in this case, maybe even opinions that might vary based on kind of like the perspective people are taking going into it, which is going to differ from like a critic who got this got a code two weeks before their review was due to a streamer who has an audience to entertain from minute one. Um, you know, I that, that's a really good point. I've wonder, I've often wondered. Um, and we've had some occasion to do it, but it's not been that often, you know, where we've done it properly, which is if you are someone who has to review a game or if you're a streamer who's going to stream a game, you go into that with a very different mindset than you do if you were just going to play a game that you wanted to play. Um, mm-hmm. And and actually, like, maybe playing the game when, yeah, like, we've now, been, we've now heard, like, from official channels, hey, don't try and spend, you know, hundreds of hours before you finish the main story finish the main story and then keep playing new game plus that's really important um you may have people that just that completely skip them you know miss, uh, skip past them and they had no idea that that was what they should have been doing and they've they got to the end of that story and they were like finish with finish with the game now i'm going to write my review and i'm going to you know give it give it a score yeah. but maybe that's a mistake um 
it's a difficult one. But then, then you can say because then you get into the nitty gritty of like, is it fair to have right or wrong ways to play a game? And and, and also that age old debate that we've seen thrown out millions of times before, especially with previous RPGs, which is like, can you say? Can you give a game a positive review with the caveat that it takes twelve hours to get good? Like, is that fair? Like, is that right? Can you expect that of of the average player? And I think, again, you know, mileage may vary as with all things video games. Very true. Like a lot of people may drop off before um, yeah. they get anywhere near that. But um, I know one thing, Jamie, which is that there are two people sitting here who are going to be playing this very soon. Um, yeah. So, so we'll we'll be able to get a bit more into it next week when we've actually uh, we've both played it. Yeah, it's funny because when we talked about Starfield last week, what what was the news that we were talking? We were talking about the um, leaks and people the, the tiling of the planets, exactly, and whether or not planets were truly traversable. Which again, the game is uh, fundamentally out if you have a big enough wallet, and those kinds of debates are still going on. You've still got Alana Pierce out there who flew her ship for seven hours straight. Did you see? Oh, was this? it was it her that did it to Pluto? Yeah, to get to Pluto, and you still have all of that kind of stuff going on. Um, and then, and then this week we're sat here talking about reviews, and then next week we're going to be sat here talking about our opinions. So it's going to be. I apologise basically to the folks at home who don't care at all about Starfield because it will be three weeks of Starfield chatter. But I promise, no Marvel's Avengers level um, <laughs> of, of longevity. No, absolutely not. Um, it's actually interesting you brought up the alarm. I didn't realise it was Alana Pierce who did it, but I'm, if if there was one thing that could just represent like the the silliness of how it's become with Starfield. So it was so Alana Pierce flew for seven and a half hours in real time, reached Pluto in her ship, didn't fast travel. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I then, because people were saying, you can, you really do that. And we're saying, you can't, you know, you can't. Um, so that was one side saying, you can't. She did it, did it and proved you can. I then saw an article, the headline of, of which was, um, uh, sure, you technically may be able to fly from one planet to another in real time, but here's why you wouldn't. And I'm like, yeah, that is such a like how your, if your argument was you can't do something, someone's shown you you can do it, and then you're going, oh yeah, but you wouldn't know. Like, of course you wouldn't. That's why the fast travels there because you want seven and a half hours just flying in a straight line. But that's not the point. You said you couldn't. I, I know. I th- I, th- I think the point is perhaps. Less again, I didn't read the article, but trying to prove the redundancy of some of the arguments that people were trying to have before the game came out. It's exactly what we talked about last week. This idea of like picking a tile and then hitting an invisible wall and getting a message. Like no one wants to run in for thirty minutes in one direction with nothing happening. No one wants to fly for seven and a half hours of real time, and so it means that none of these like these are limitations that don't matter. When limitations don't matter, they almost don't become limitations anymore. And I think. I'm glad that some of that chatter has kind of died out this week, but there are still, to tap into what we were talking about earlier, a seemingly endless number of people who usually have some variation of like Kratos or God of War fan art, either either as their profile picture or their banner on Twitter, who are like making a real mountain out of a molehill over the degree to which Bethesda misled anyone on just how open-ended the exploration of this game was. When it like, it all just seems fine. I know that there's maybe a problem that when fast travel is as, you know, blatant is that the right word to use? When it's as when it's as obvious and as and as and as implemented on such a high level as it appears to be uh, in Starfield, that maybe even the most committed of you know um, sort of you know space exploration role players find themselves fast traveling directly into their ship, 
fast traveling directly to a system, fast traveling directly to their planet, fast traveling directly out of the ship, and all of a sudden it's just like four menus in space in, in repl- instead of space exploration. But that can be a bummer. But it's still a choice. Um, it, it, it is a choice. But I I was thinking about this because I think I, I I suggested that that's not that far. Like I I wouldn't I would rather you couldn't. But then I think I even said, but then of course I could just not do it. But I know that I yeah. wouldn't be able to resist it. But I almost well, feel like maybe it should be a, there should be a toggle for it. What you're saying is that you're going to your favorite restaurant on a while you're on a diet, and you want them to take the cheeseburger off the menu so that you're not you can't order it. Yeah, kind of. I suppose yeah, taking away that okay. that uh, temptation. Yeah, the problem is there are other people at that restaurant, and I'm one of them, and I'm ordering that cheeseburger. Maybe. What? What about a toggle? Would you would you think that'd be a good idea, or would you think it'd be a bit of an irrelevant little thing? Um, I think like again, if you if your problem is with your willpower, then <laughs> like hiding it as a toggle in the options menu doesn't really change that issue. Like if you're going to be inclined to go for the easy option, like uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. Maybe you feel like it's the kind of thing that if you never even saw it, then you'd forget it existed, and then you'd watch every loading screen, and you'd manually get into your ship every time, and you know you would never fast travel anywhere, but. I also just feel like, I don't know, just just ignore it. Like, yeah, just ignore it. I'm trying where you can. I played a ludicrous game. What was it? <laughs> um, a very apt point uh, in the chat from Brady, Brady Davidson. You control the buttons you press, Jersey. No, of course, but I was so. I'm. Oh my goodness, I'm kind of. What game is it? What game is it? There's a game that I played like a while ago, which had fast. The fast travel was so good on the PlayStation Five. It actually became. No, it wasn't Spider Man. It was some. What was it? Are you sure it wasn't Spider Man? Spider well, Man. No, Spider Man. No, Spider Man was the reverse, where there was extremely quick fast travel, but because swinging was so fun, no one bothered doing it. It was Ghost of Tsushima. Oh, and that is literally like fade to black, and then on two seconds you're there. And on the PS5, it actually became. So I was. I'd finished the game. I. I'd, uh, I was. I was trying to just clear up some of the end game stuff, and. Um, and you know, get to some shrines and things like that. And some of those, uh, some of the things you can you can get an unlock where it's like uh, you can have the wind point you toward uh, a certain collectible. And it became a completely viable option to effectively see where the wind was going, hop into the map, um, point you like point, orient yourself in the direction of the wind, go into the map which was directional anyway, and then just put yourself forward and fast travel. And it became like you could just skip through the through the map and through the world insanely quickly. And I yeah. think when it gets like that, like absolutely, um, Brady say, saying is you controlling the buttons. But if that was an, and this was end game, so this is di- this is different. Right? This is end game. I don't know if you, that was. I don't think that would have been possible earlier on in the game. Maybe it would have been. Um, it's you, how you skill, like you can sp- spend your upgrade points on those wind abilities if you want to. But right. most people during the game are probably going to prioritize combat stuff. You know. Um, no, so I, I think I did as well. So I don't think I could have done that early before I'd finished the actual like main story. But if that, but that's that, I can, that is then hard to resist if you know it's available. But at the same time, it could absolutely ruin your experience of a game if you could use it too early on, which I suppose was my one fear of Starfield is if it is a, if it is this sort of like planet trotting adventure game and you can just too quickly hop mm. from one place to, the, to another, yeah. is, are you going to lose some of the gameplay feel to it? But again, it's your choice to push the buttons. Yeah, again, the counter argument is. Yeah, don't push the button. Like I get what you're saying about Ghost of Tsushima, but on the flip side, Jonesy, don't push the button. Don't push the button. Um, <laughs> I, I see. I'm trying to think of like a things I think it could actually be a bad thing. So, for 
if you can go to one place, buy something to trade and then fast travel to the place to sell it and get more for it. And you could effectively just like cheese it. So you could just get a load of money really easily like that. Like that sort of thing would bug me. But I haven't uh, heard of anyone doing yeah, that. A counter theory though to that, don't push the button. But see, like, then, again, you you intentionally manipulating a system to cheese the game for your own benefit. They complaining about the fact that you broke the game by doing that. That's you still you, every scenario that we can possibly come up with for this. Every hypothetical, like you've created your own problem. Well, oh no, I I generated a, a, a large amount of money unrealistically quickly because I just because I decided to fast travel between two vendors. But when what I do then, developers and studios. Uh, patch games to take out ways of like farming certain elements certain, certain things if it is a case of just don't do it if you want to enjoy the game but devs do go in and fix games so you can't do it because I, 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 I think exploits are a negative thing but exploits that are, arise around the usage of like ne borderline necessary features or features that you like are, are otherwise unavoidable then that's just the nature of the beast fair fair I don't know like yeah, <laughs> well, there we go. Uh, well, Starfield comes out in about three hours. Oh, no, blimey, two hours. So we'll be able to find out for ourselves. Although apparently the first four or five hours of that game are pretty dry and slow as you get into the main story. So, you know, yeah. quite a while. I, I actually watched someone, uh, who I a group of people who I think I quite like. I tried to watch some streaming Starfield and I got bored, so I stopped. Right. But I think it was... I think it was them. They, they could be a bit slow in the early... You know, when you're watching someone who's really struggling to get to grips with the game and you're like, I understand these mechanics better than you and I don't have the controller on my hand. Like, please, please figure this out. And then eventually yeah. you give up. It was, one, it was one of those. I had a, a friend who um, bought the early access. So it spent like, I don't know how much it would have been, you know, to get the uh, premium version. Uh, tried to play it on his Xbox. Um could it was like oh this is I don't, I don't know if he couldn't play it. i mean i assume it's not playable or like an earlier version of the xbox i um i don't know yeah yeah i i'm pretty sure is it just series s and x well so he so he bought uh he bought this version realized at like seven in the morning when he should have been able to play that he couldn't so he went out and bought an xbox series s uh just so he could play starfield and then like got home absolutely right. like insanely tired and then tried to sit through the opening five to six hours which were very slow and then just couldn't stay awake because he seems yeah. just so tired if they were buying a series s then that seems to suggest that they must have owned like a a one or a one x or something prior and yeah um, yeah I'm, I'm not actually sure which, what, what he had but he's got a ridiculous pc as well but he just is for his work so he doesn't want to put games on it like oh yeah that's where's the fun in that like I'm waiting for the PC that my, my employees are about to send me before I start playing it because it's better than my personal one at this stage. So fair. Um, well, there you go. That's Starfield. Well, we won't talk about it as long next week. We'll, uh, we'll maybe just give you our opinions of uh, where we're up to so far. And not make that guarantee, Jonesy. I know what we're like. And you know, it'll probably be so many things you want to talk about as well. Like, this game's amazing. Or this game, oh, I really hate this system. Well, probably talk about fast travel and be like, it's nowhere near as good as the fast travel. It needs to be more fast. It needs to be quicker. Yeah, exactly. I should be able to push the button more often. Indeed. Um, well, but now, Jamie, I want to talk about some people that have already pushed the button. Um, I want to talk about some of our uh, patrons who've gone over to patreon.com and have signed up to uh, help support this channel, um, help keeping us keep us coming back uh week after week to do this podcast um 
I don't know if they if they're playing Starfield, if they're gonna play Starfield. Hopefully, they will let us know on our Discord, which they uh, can jo- they've joined up to for um, only two dollars uh, a month. But there are other tiers there as well. They've got some um, other content that you can get um, over on our Patreon. I would like to give a shout out to some of them. Um, there are some names on screen right now that you can see, um, but I would also like to read out some names. I'm talking Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Brimstone, Cole K, Ice Dog Rock Salt, Jesper Camdown Nielsen, Leo Merger, Mindful Pig, Mr. Anthropic, Pastors Guild, and the big dogs. The members of the board is Brett Z, aka Shellshock, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Book Reed, Manuel Guerrero, and Peaswad. Um thank you all so much for supporting us um week on week. It truly does mean a lot. Uh it means that Jamie and I can talk games at length. Um for no other reason other than basically no other reason. Yeah. Yeah. Huge shout out to the fam. And um and also yeah shout out to obviously to everyone who's supporting us on Patreon. Massive thank you. It means a huge amount. But also um just want to give a shout out to everyone that indulged us last week with our request for uh, Jim Carrey recommendations. Uh, saw some people do that in the YouTube comment section and also a couple of people hitting us up on Discord. So thank you to everyone who got involved in that. Now it's up to you and me, Jonesy, to actually follow through on that and uh, devise a list and actually get to watching. How many did we did we say five or three? How many did we say? I think, I think, I think we say five, but I mean, if, I, we also have to manage it with you know how realistic it is that we can watch, like how many Jim Carrey films we can manage to watch in a short period of time part of me feels like if we made it homework i'd be motivated enough to like just get shit done but i don't know i think i, I think i could do five uh yeah and then we'll, we'll do we'll watch them and then in a couple of weeks we'll um yeah do some uh patreon content um yeah talking about um, jim carrey golden movies i also wondered if i could give a quick shout out to the the fine folks who are watching us uh live on youtube this evening and uh joining in by uh by sharing messages in the chat absolutely Okay, in that case, I'd want to give a quick shout. I know, I know, I've read some of your names out and some of your messages out already, so please do keep them coming. But shout-outs to Shellshock, Slick, nineteen seventy-seven, Magni, Low Point Fair, the Funky Penguin, Brady Davidson, the Mushroom, Randall Flag, who's finally caught us live and is driving. But good news, Jonesy, feeding into Randall's ears, nice. not watching the video and driving at the same time. Smart. Because don't super show and drive, just like you don't drink and drive. Uh, Rodrigo, just a guy. Um, I think I think I've covered everyone with that. Yeah, huge shout out to everyone. Thanks for joining in the chat. As Shellshock said, "Hi, mum." They're about to say my name. Hi, Shellshock, <laughs> and hi, Shell's mum. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank I, I genuinely we do love it when people like uh, watch and comment live and stuff. It's really cool to know that you're out there watching, listening. Um, but yeah, as Jamie said, don't watch and drive. I, sw- I swear my mum had a car at one point that was only a two-seater and it had a DVD player that played films, but it would only play the films when the car was stopped. Yes, yes. My, I, I, uh, was, you know what's weird? Like, I have the exact same thing where I can also remember very briefly having a family car or my family borrowing a car or like whatever it, whatever it was that also has some kind of TV in the front and the middle that you could only watch when the car was static and like either in neutral or with, or whatever it was. What's weird is that there's something kind of like futuristic about having a like a display uh, on like on like watching TV or watching a movie from your car that I think a lot more high end cars are starting to implement. Yeah, you know, with touchscreens and these massive almost like tablet like interfaces in Tesla's and whatnot. And yet both of yours and mine's experience of that are from like cars that were probably twenty years old at this point. 
And how, but how rubbish is that? Like, what? if the car is the only thing the car does is to drive, then you're imagine trying to watch a film and you're driving along and the only, it only comes on when you're in traffic. Like, that's so crap. That is, unless you're one of those people that gives a lot of people lifts and you're hanging around a lot or like, I don't know. If you find yourself sat... If you're an Uber driver. In a, in a, yeah, in a stationary car that's in neutral quite a lot. Because I presume, the, does the engine have to be on? I don't know. I don't know. Like, I love what it does to the battery as well. Oh, oh yeah. It would, kill, it would absolutely kill your battery, wouldn't it? If the engine yeah. wasn't. Right. If my mum's shouting at me for leaving the lights on, I'm definitely getting shouted at for watching like Meet the Fockers on DVD. <laughs> And this is the other thing. As a kid, you'd be like, stop, mom, pull over. I want to watch that, the next scene. It's the end of me, the fuckers. I want to see what happens. Yeah. Okay. No, we're going home. It's weird the rules your parents taught you from like being a passenger in their car growing up. Like you, you, like, you cannot drive for any significant distance with one of the lights uh, of the, of the car, uh, like the interior lights on, yeah. especially at nighttime. And also, you always have to turn down the music or the radio when you're joining onto a busy like uh, motorway or dual carriageway or something like that, like any high, high any advanced or like remotely high stress maneuver, radio has to get turned down at least fifty percent volume. I'm I'm paying attention. I'll turn yeah. it up when we when we're on when we've merged. Literally, uh, my mum used to say, "You can turn the radio on when we're on the motorway." I need to yeah. concentrate it up until. I uh, I don't I don't turn it down if I'm getting on a motorway or something, but I do turn it down if I'm parking. Okay, yeah. The kids will be sense. like, oh, I'm, I'm listening to that. And I'm like, you can listen to it again when I'm finished parking. Yeah. Yeah. Serves them right. It does. Um, well, Jamie, apart from uh, watching films on, in your car when it's not moving, um, what else have you been up to this week? Have you watched anything, played anything? Uh, I have, yeah. Um, I don't know how this is going to go down. This is actually quite naughty of me, Jones. Um, but naughty of you. Yeah, I, quite I did wonder because you haven't listed anything, and usually when you do that, it's because you want to be sneaky. Yeah, I, I did kind of want to be sneaky because um, you know what I'm like. Um, wh when there's a video game zeitgeist, you know, when 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 something's happening, when people are talking about something, I, I like to be a part of it. I don't feel like feeling like I'm missing out on stuff. Um, and I don't know if anyone noticed. I don't know if you, for example, noticed, Jonesy, but in the past week. Um, uh, a critically acclaimed RPG um, was released. Um, an RPG that sits in the high 80s, in fact, on both Metacritic and OpenCritic. Um, and I'll put it bluntly, I couldn't resist. Um, and so I've spent some of the last week playing Sea of Stars. Do you get it? That was... you. you I was waiting for you to like pull a face. I was The whole joke was I was trying to imply that I was secretly playing Starfield but you just I, I was li I was literally sitting here thinking he's just been through an entire conversation about Starfield and not admitted he's played Starfield the face was one of shock and then when he said see the stars there was some relief there okay well I'm just very, I'm just very good at hiding my uh, emotions good I hope that anyone listening to that at home or wherever people are like they got I hope the I was I was seething you just can't okay. read it I hope there was palpable tension in the room because Jonesy was like just completely no-selling my amazing Sea of Stars bit, okay? Um, but yeah, I haven't been playing Sea of Stars. Like, largely because, like, in what is kind of... I'm not necessarily going to... Uh, a first, but kind of what is slightly unusual for what was a fairly highly anticipated indie game that also reviewed extremely well, Sea of Stars launched day and day on both Game Pass and PlayStation Premium, or PlayStation Plus Premium, I should say, which I don't feel like you see too much of. Um... But that was cool. Um, I've been playing the uh, the PlayStation version on PS5, um, and I've been having a really nice time with it. Um, 
I must admit that it harkens back to an era of uh, RPGs or JRPGs in particular um, that I'm not particularly familiar with. Like I, 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 like I never owned a Super Nintendo. You know, I wasn't out there playing, you know, uh, Chrono Trigger or Breath of Fire or anything like that. So I don't have nostalgia for a lot of what Sea of Stars is, is drawing influence from. But that doesn't mean that I'm not enjoying it. I think a lot of the ways it feels like it's, if anything, modernized. A lot of those traditional JRPG systems are really quite slick. Like the combat is fun and has enough kind of like new ideas and also adds additional mechanics kind of with subsequent uh, game time to keep it fresh. Um, it's also like uh, being sort of like a Chrono Trigger inspired RPG. It's not of like the random encounter ilk. There are a lot, there is a lot of combat, but it's kind of like you're always exploring like an overworld or a broader area and you can kind of physically see enemies on the map and then walk in and then combat initiates in the same environment that you're running around in um lot like a lot of puzzles that have kind of kept the gameplay uh varied and also just like again to you look at that art style and it's like it's clear that they've taken a lot of inspiration from a certain era of video games but modernized it using all the kind of the tricks of the 21st century you know game development book you know lots of kind of very detailed landscapes and lots of parallax effects and sort of like particle alpha effects and things like that that all but all still within that kind of like 16-bit inspired um art style that kind of really bring that world to life story is a little bit kind of hmm i like the characters but a, a lot of the the, the 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 themes and overall ideas are kind of like everything's a bit tropey at the moment right like um and, and like as a result like the it doesn't feel like there's any, any real particular consequence to anything that I do or perhaps will do as the story goes on. Um, but I'm looking forward to kind of seeing where it goes. So yeah, Sea of Stars has been has been a fun game. And considering, I don't know, most people are, or most people I feel like are likely to be subscribed to at least one service that it's available on. I think it's worth a shot. It would be worth more of a shot were there not another critically acclaimed RPG launching within one week of Sea of Stars. But if you're like put off by just how big and how sprawling Starfield looks, and you want something a bit more old school and intimate, then uh, please, yeah, uh, give it a look. I must admit, I had no interest in Sea of Stars at all, and then it was only, I believe, yesterday or today that I started actually seeing things saying how good Sea of Stars is. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe I do need to try this game. Maybe I should give it a look, but um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see how Starfield unravels. Yeah, it, this is, like I said, it's either going to be really good timing for some people out there or really bad timing for some people out there. Um, you know, uh, to each their own, I guess. Um, but it, but it, it's a nice thing to have. And like I said, you you probably fall into this camp. A lot of people probably already own this, effectively. It's already mm. part of their library by extension of the fees they're already paying. Um, so, you know, what's a little, you know, two gigabyte download on a, from a, of a game that, of, that you've essentially already paid for when it's... You know, one of the best reviewed RPGs of the year at this point, weirdly enough. Yeah. Better reviewed than Starfield. <laughs> yeah, which is going to be hilarious when you start to see people saying, like, Starfield's, uh, Star Sea of Stars is better than Starfield. Like, uh, don't need don't need Xbox, don't need Game Pass, blah, blah, blah. And then you wonder how many of those people are saying it because they've got it on PlayStation. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> for that same there, they'll be doing that for the next month until Spider-Man 2 drops, and then it will become Spider-Man 2 versus Starfield. Um, and, then the, and then the PC game will come in at the end and just be like, this is great, but you're both forgetting Baldur's Gate. Apologies. Yes, the as as we're um, like at the moment, the highest rated game of the year so far, I believe Baldur's Gate is sitting at, isn't it? So, which I haven't played. Yeah, I don't think you've played either. I have not. Um, it, I think that's ironically the uh, the PlayStation uh, Five version drops. Uh, is it tomorrow as well? 
It's in. It's this week. Yeah, it's um, very soon. Isn't it? I might. Yeah, I might take a look at that. But then I also had a conversation with with our old pal Steph Murphy, um, friend of the podcast, who has played uh, a chunk a chunk of Baldur's Gate. And you know when someone didn't really vibe with something or didn't it didn't really click with them, and they describe why, and it's for a lot of the same reasons that you also have like hang-ups about going into it yourself right um so there was a bit of that going on um, okay but we'll see we'll see it's going to be harder harder and harder to ignore as we get towards the end of the year and people keep talking about how it's the de facto game of the year bar none and it's like okay well i'll probably play it fair um i've been playing something new which like i you know it. i have um, I would, I would. Which only came out recently as well for me. Strange for me because usually I'm like four or five months behind at least. Um, but yeah. this is, uh, we saw, um, both of us saw Under the Waves. Uh, I believe it was, um, I can't remember when we first saw it. We both sort of said, how, was it E3 oh. time? Or was it Was it maybe um, a little bit earlier than that? Um, which So it's a new game from Quantic Dream in case no one, people haven't seen it. Um, which was, uh, if you have seen any of the trailers for it, it's a game with a guy in sort of scuba gear or a submarine swimming around under the water. Um, and I think when we talked about it before, we said it almost drums up like a feeling of maybe Firewatch. You know, it's very heavy narrative with sort of like uh, busy work thrown in to kind of push the story along and to like unreal yeah. reveal the story. Um, but I can say that I've had a very good time with Under the Waves. Um, I'm, I, I'm probably three quarters of the way through if not slightly further um i think i'm coming to the end of of, of the story at this point um it's a funny one in in some ways though because it's so i would be saying this game was absolutely fantastic and it's like probably my one of the best games i've played this year if it wasn't for the fact that it is very buggy and uh glitchy in some ways and i don't know if that's you yeah. i don't know if that's across um steam and playstation but i'm playing it on playstation 5 and i have been like inundated with issues um like hard crashes um save issues uh just like the game just outright booting me like you know when i try and do you're trying to do one like the game will give you an option to do something you try and do it and obviously you may be not actually supposed to do it and the game just boots you um which is kind of frustrating i've had to redo some missions um, multiple yeah, times good. because of it um so, so yeah just stability stability stuff really um but when it actually when it's working when the game is working and you're swimming around under the water and you are uh investigating things and you're you're sort of flying swimming around in your little submarine um it feels brilliant like the, the controls are on point the way that everything goes together is is great the story I'm not. I haven't reached the end of the story yet, so it kind of remains to be seen in some aspects. Like it could go one of two ways. I think. Mm. I've heard it's heavy. Like I've heard the the grief at the centre of the story is like, you know, very griefy. It is very. It is very griefy, but at the same time, it's kind of obvious for the kind of game it is. Like it's pretty. It's one of the few things that you know people go with when they're talking about this side kind of game. Um, I mean, my 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 top guess is someone who knows absolutely nothing would be dead wife. Uh, very, you're not far. You're not far off. Yeah, it's not yeah, that, exactly, but you're not yeah. far off. So it's that kind yeah, of thing, yeah. and it's it's and it's that heaviness of it. It's that like person dealing Wait, with was was Firewatch dead wife. Firewatch was dead wife as well, wasn't it? I think. Yes. Or like or or dying wife, but then dying wife. Why would he move away? I don't know. Was, um, yeah. Oh God, I can't remember. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was dead wife. 
but it's it's that kind of feel. It's it's exactly that kind of feel. Um, Let's play Grief Bingo, video game Grief Bingo. And th this is even like it's, if you look to the two games, you might be like, well, this is nothing like Firewatch. It, it very much is though, in the sense of your only connection to other people in the game is um, them talking to you through a radio, and you go and get missions through the radio, and you, and you sort of get given busy work to do, like you did in Firewatch, and you sort of go back to your little main area, and it's so it's open world, um, but it's a, it's a hub. It's like quite a you know small area um, that you operate in, and they'll say you need to go and do this mission, go and do this mission, then come back and go to bed and then go do this mission and come back and you sort of, you know, you bump into story beats and, you know, your own, the characters, uh, heavy issues um, as well. So it's, it's, but at the moment, like I will say, yeah, it is on point. Um, I'm really enjoying it. Like I said, except for some of those um, issues, technical issues that I've yeah. along the way. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. Because, um, but first of all, quick correction, Rodrigo pointed in, out in the chat that um, Firewatch was Alzheimer's. So if anyone had that oh. on their grief bingo card, um, congratulations. The question I was going to ask is that... Yes. Sorry, go for it. No, no, sorry. I was, I was like, oh, yeah, it was Alzheimer's because she's not dead. He's like left. He's like gone away and she's got Alzheimer's, isn't it? Yeah. But, see, I had a vague memory of that. Then I was thinking, why would like... the how? Why do we remember Henry as a good guy if he like left his dying wife to go and have... A very solitary job in the woods as well, like Alzheimer's, I guess, makes a bit more sense than I don't know, like a something more morbid. But what I was going to ask is that Firewatch, I think, from what I've gathered, is a game that has a, uh, a kind of a shorter runtime than Under the Waves. Like Firewatch can be done in one sitting. I think Under Waves feels like it's yeah you know, a bit, bit probably a bit too long for that. Almost certainly a bit too long for that. But Firewatch also has uh, kind of elements where. It, through its narrative, it incorporates other almost genre switches, but there are almost like paranoia thriller elements to Firewatch before the true nature of some of the plot points have been established. Uh, Under the Waves feels like its capacity to do that is slightly lessened because the degree to which the protagonist is isolated is so much more extreme um, than it is in a game like Firewatch. Does that make it become one note, where it's just like, it's just you and this sad guy? on no. your own a lot okay. uh would no because they do they do have that kind of a switch um to some degree whereas it's almost like um a little bit uh like isolated horror okay i wondered i wondered um but not not anything to put anyone off like i'm not good with like horror games i like horror films horror games scare the crap out of me you know as i've said loads of times on the podcast uh i don't like i don't think i could play that where this is more like it feels like it's teetering on the edge of um, everything could go horribly wrong and there could be horror, like, and it could turn into an hour of horror game. Um, but it doesn't okay. go that far. It just, it, it sometimes, it sometimes mess, messes around with you and suggests that maybe it will, but it doesn't. It, for me, it hasn't yet. And I'm, like I said, I, I'm pretty sure, because I think the runtime is maybe like seven and a half to eight hours or something. Yeah. Um, that's what I heard. Yeah. And I, I must be maybe six hours in. Um, uh, but the one thing I will, that I don't think you'll put anyone off. It is a little bit heavy-handed with the uh, pro environmental kind of stuff. Oh yeah, I heard about some of those. But the... not not as bad as you'd think. It's not. It doesn't go. It's not like it is in your face, and it is kind of. Um, it's a little bit on the nose. And he and the character outright sort of, but then it kind of fits with the character because the character is someone who 
um, was like, pro, you know, trying to look after the oceans and look after the sea life. And his wife's like a marine biologist and you work for this company called U-Trench who are like an oil, a crude oil company. And it's almost like there's an idea that you've sold out to work for them. Um, yes. And doing main you're doing maintenance for them as a diver um, at their long-term uh, like underwater base. Um, and, but, and he does often say things like, oh, we're ruining the oceans or, oh, the poor animals and I'm working for the enemy. And there's a, there's, and there's like when oil, there's often oil coming out of things and it's like, oh, the poor animals, why would we dig up fossilized remains of animals to what, for what purpose? There is a bit of that, but it mm. is, it's not as, okay. it's not, it's not condensed into like a 20 minute bit. Like I've just given you about five hours worth of game dial, like dialogue there. And it does repeat as you can imagine. Yeah, um, repeats also from what I understand uh, in what was originally or like natively written in French and then translated to English and then uh, performed in English, but with lip syncing still for the French performances. Which apparently I don't know if you've noticed this or it's bothered you, but apparently the lip syncing is just it's just wild because they haven't even bothered to try and account for the fact that it was originally uh, matched to French. It's funny you say that. So the the uh the, the graphical style is actually really good like the game looks really nice looks really slick but the main character's face looks kind of grand theft auto definitive <laughs> trilogy <laughs> a bit of like the sort of play-doh vibes yeah or like or may, maybe across between that and like cell shaded so uh, okay. it's kind of crap like on his face so um so actually i just assumed it was just bad like animation because it's all in cutscene that you see his face like close up and he's talking. And so it didn't bother me because I just assumed it was bad because it doesn't look great. <laughs> I didn't think it was because it was French. But now you say, I'm like, okay, yeah, I can certainly see that. All right. Um, but no, uh, but for a hey, 20, like 25 pounds, I think it was. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Like it's one that I'm, I'm going to keep my eye on. I think if there's a price drop or if it comes to a service, I'm definitely going to play it. I, I put it this way I was found myself intrigued by some of the story ideas and i didn't spoil them myself there's another um story driven game that has released in the past uh few weeks um that got considerably worse reviews than under the waves which i did spoil for myself and i was glad i spoiled for myself because i was like that would have not been worth the time i put into it what was um, that for solace oh all right yeah no I, I think we talked about it before didn't we and i was like yeah don't think i'm into it it's got some interesting ideas but like the a to b to c story is like that's what you want people to like invest five hours into. Of oh, like well, okay. um, uh, I, that, that's just my opinion. Also, um, I'll keep this really brief because I think the fact that I completely forgot about it maybe speaks a lot to my thoughts on it. But you just reminded, reminded me during that that I also played and completed an entire game this past week. Oh, um, go on. Um, put it this way. You, you, you mentioning the idea of heavy-handed themes jogged my memory. Um, there's this game... That I kept noticing because every time I went on Open Critic, Open Critic have this thing called like the 2023 Hall of Fame, and it's right. basically just like the highest reviewed games of the year. And I kept seeing this game on that list called Videoverse, and it's it was there basically because it's only got I think nine or ten reviews from critics, but like a lot of them are really quite positive. Like it got a it got five out of five from the Guardian and, and stuff like that that kind of bumped it up. And now this visual novel game developed by one person that is like four hours long is open critics like fifth best game of the year so i was like what is going on here and then i read some reviews and they piqued my interest so i went out and actually 
Uh, I bought it on Steam because similar situation. This it was like eleven pounds, and I was like, "Fuck it!" Like I'll see what happens. Um, and I, I I didn't like it nearly as much as uh, as some some uh, critics uh, appeared to. Um, if, if, uh, it's basically like a, a visual novel set within um, a set on like so the the player character who is a fifteen year old boy living in Germany um, owns a console called the Shark um, and it, the console's on its last legs. It's already been replaced by a newer console called the Dolphin but he's one of these people who hasn't moved on to the next console. And one of the things he's really into is that it kind of has its own social media platform that's like within the OS of the game console called Videoverse that, as the name would suggest, kind of like meshes ideas from like the the the, the Miiverse um, that like Nintendo have had in the past and also other more traditional like social media e ideas like, you know, uh, like instant messaging chat stuff, which is where a lot of the narrative elements take place. Um, and it's it's kind of like an interesting exploration of what it's like to be a part of a community that, uh, minor spoiler alert for Videoverse, but a community that find, finds out it's going to get shut down. And like this idea of like, who's moving on to the next console? Oh, they're going to start charging for the service on the next console. Some people are going to tag out. You know that you know that kind of like, there's that meme that some people share of like how it hits for people in the fields where they go on their Xbox for the first time and they see someone they used to play Halo with every day, and it's like last online nine years ago, and you're like, oh, right. like, we were best mates for a summer. It's It feels like a visual novel that's trying to tap into some of those okay. kind of feelings and some of the angst and, um, like, the emotions that, as, as as many of us as teenagers, attach to these kind of situations and the friendships and relationships that we made and the kind of awkward dynamics between how well do you really know someone, when is it, if ever, the right time to suggest, like, that there could be a real life component to a relationship like that, and it's all mixed in with also a little bit of like uh, teen drama on the kind of more romantic front, um, which I, I I didn't think it handled particularly well because um, I think it undermined some of the other themes and ideas that the game had, um, and it essentially just almost becomes a romance like visual novel more like more so than anything else uh, to its detriment. But it definitely has some interesting ideas. It also I won't spoil them, and I don't want to kind of like be on it over the head with it. But it also had some pretty heavy-handed ideas, um, right? Um, where like your has as a as a when you use this when you use Videoverse in the game, you're very heavily encouraged to moderate the platform by like reporting people who leave negative comments or <laughs> and and like as though they're real users. And there's people who have like these really kind of awkwardly stilted conversations where like. Uh, about like whether it's gender or sexuality or um ableism and stuff like that and it's kind of like oh the the individual behind this game's politics are very front and center in these conversations and i'm now playing the role of the good guy community member who has to report all the things that i can tell the developer very clearly disagrees with regardless of whether or not i do <laughs> right um anyway um yeah videoverse it's an interesting i don't know it, I, I i was sort of like tepid on it in the end it's, it's interesting how some games like that some people seem to re review them because they obviously like the idea of the game and then they go oh yeah i really like the idea of this game and then other people if you if it was more like a, we were saying with starfield and like a general you know board of reviewers they'd probably get reviewed down a hell of a lot more maybe like i bought it because i like the idea of the game but the ironic thing of like of like 
you know, turning the Xbox 360 on, the meme of seeing that person last online 11 years ago, that almost like hits me in the heart more than, right. in some ways, more than like Videoverse did across four hours. Like it doesn't always, it for me, and like where my nostalgia lies or where my, I guess, emotions lie, for want of a better way of putting it, he didn't always tap into them in the way that it clearly did for like the person who reviewed it for The Guardian who was uh, gushing over the game in a way that it just didn't, resonate with me which is a shame but you know that's just the way games work especially when they're kind of like very very personal you know narrative driven visual novels it's not going to connect with everyone i think it was developed by literally one individual um so you know it that those kind of thing happens but still you know by all means if anyone if it speaks to anyone's interest i recommend reading some of the reviews and then um absolutely nothing uh, uh to be ashamed of when it comes to supporting um independent developers uh, yeah no, absolutely. So, it's a hell of a thing when someone makes a game all on their own. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, to... from from the very personal Jamie to about as impersonal as you can get, uh, because in our next news story we are talking about the fact that Val- Valve, I was going to call them Valve, Valve have deleted ninety thousand um, Smurf accounts uh, from Dota Two because my computer's freaking out. Hopefully, we're still live on the internet. I've still got you loud and clear, buddy. If that's any consolation. Oh no, it wasn't that. It was the fact that my uh, it's a Discord just was um, disconnecting, but we still seem to be online, so that's all good. Um, yeah, but no, from the from the very personal to impersonal, because Smurf accounts, if you don't know, which are what the what have been deleted from uh, Dota Two, Smurf accounts are um, accounts which people use when playing a game like Dota Two. Um, if they don't want to play like a you know a ranked match which matches them to the right lobby that they're supposed to be in and basically allows them to go in and be a dick um, in the game to grief, to cheat, to uh, be pretty horrendous, to abandon games when they're not doing too well um, and just to kind of have a uh, no consequences uh, game, which I can see the appeal for to some degree, um, but Valve were having none of it because in two recent communications that they put out to players, they had twice referenced the fact that smurfing is not something they think is okay. They, uh, you know, talked about cheating. They've talked about people sort of like ruining the player experience and they have tried to tell the player base, look, we don't think this is cool. We don't think this is fun. We don't think this is fair to people that you are, um, you're causing other people to have a worse experience. Um, So they have finally come down and actually said, no, we're going to delete these smurf accounts. They have also gone a little bit harder. Um, they've actually said, I'm going to tell you exactly what they've said, um, <clears throat> something that they may do in future. They said, uh, additionally to the deleting of the Smurf accounts, um, we have traced every single one of these Smurf accounts back to its main account. Going forward, a main account found associated with a Smurf account could result in a wide range of punishments from temporary adjustments to behavior scores to permanent account bans for people that continue to do it um which is uh i think is them taking a very definitive um stance on this this entire thing yeah um it's pretty definitive i guess it's also pretty uh what's it like they they offer up a a pretty uh diverse range of potential punishments for people doing this it kind of reminds me of when you go to america and all of a sudden you're inundated with adverts for uh, medication which is not something we used to from being uh, in the uk and of course they have a legal obligation to read out every single side effect known to man <laughs> the last of last and usually most serious of which is often death um and so when i read this there's a part of me that thinks maybe even hopes 
that punishments like temporary adjustments to behaviour scores are more common than permanent account bans when it comes to smurfing. Um, now, that's not from my way of trying to like under undermine the the like the extent to which I think smurfing is kind of a over overall a shitty thing to do, but I also don't think it's worth like potentially losing a like a, a, a historic or you know extremely active or uh, you know even sentimentally valuable main account, whatever the you know the case may be. Uh, that seems a little bit extreme, but at the same time, trying to come up with ways of curbing smurfing, I'm I'm all there for. I see. I'm a little bit torn on the smurfing, purely because I can imagine a case whereby you're a player who plays to a high level that has yeah. a certain amount of stress and, um, uh, you know, like peril associated with every game you play. Like if you if you join a game and you lose and you know it's going to affect your standing, that's going to feel like crap. I can I can appreciate that you may go. Do you know what? Sometimes I just want to have fun. I just want to try new stuff i just want to enjoy the game for what it was when i first started playing um so i think maybe there's something to be said for them for uh valve actually creating an outlet for people like that where they they can give people the option to play in lobbies where you might play against a new player you might play against an experience that, that, that doesn't exist though doesn't it i thought this there is still um like the unranked or like public matchmaking because remember chris yes talking about pub stomping which is when like good players go and just do like random generic public matchmaking because they know they'll still be better on average than the people they play. So, no, yeah, you're right. I think this this is this is because they're they're playing well, it must be that they're playing ranked. Like some matches. kind of right yeah, I think that's that's I think that's what's going on here. But yeah. should there not be like a do you not think there could be a sort of an a ranked but unranked like almost like a mid ground is what I'm trying to say. So you could play any any levels of players could do it. And it's not going to affect anything else, but you're not talking about just no. a, like a completely unranked server because it wouldn't. But I wouldn't work with a totally unranked server because then any new player is going to then be potentially sure. playing really good high level player. Do you see what I'm saying? I, just, I, I do, but I think it's unattainable because like when we're when How you're talking you about it? when you're talking about video games like this, or you're talking about people pining for that feeling, well, they're essentially saying to themselves in as many words as i want to feel like i'm good at, i want to be good at the game again <laughs> i want to have a, yeah I, I want to have a game where we win very easily and i get lots of kills but the problem with games like dota and any competitive game a pvp game of this nature is every kill you get is a death for someone else like there has to be a loser in that equation it's very and, true and what and what valve are doing is ensuring that the losers are not people playing dota for the first time at the expense of people who've played dota for a thousand hours because that's a very negative onboarding experience and Ultimately, communities only shrink. They don't grow if new players are discouraged from playing by 90,000 people smurfing to shit all over them the first time they try and go into ranked. That, to be fair, that number is is ridiculous. Like, 90, that is, um, maybe like a bunch of those accounts aren't used or maybe they're old accounts, but that is a hell of a lot of people that <laughs> of their player base who are, who are smurfing yeah. on a... Uh, you, well, maybe you've got to assume it's a regular base. Otherwise, why would they have found the accounts, I suppose? If you if you were if you were the tenth fastest person in the world when it came to running the one hundred meters, like that is a real I'd sympathise with you because that's a really awkward position to be because you are the tenth fastest person on planet Earth and you're going to come last in every single race you run. <laughs> you know what I'm? Yeah, yeah you know you're going to come ten like ten thousand yeah. ten every time. Yeah, and that and here's the thing: there's nothing from stopping you from like 
like going down to the park on a Sunday and challenging some random bloke <laughs> to a race and then and beating and that makes you feel good. It doesn't. But like if if like if a professional athlete and turned around and went like it's like can I just not just play against some people who are much worse than me this weekend? I just I miss I miss feeling one is I miss running the hundred meters against people who run it in ten point five seconds. It's like what what are you talking about? I don't like, know. You see, you're kind of convincing me back the other way again, though. We all want that. If I offered you a Call of Duty lobby right now where you were guaranteed to be the best player in the world and I said to you, Jonesy, if you play a flawless game, you can go 50-0, and 0, you would bite my hand off. Everyone wants that Call of Duty lobby. But that Call of Duty lobby can't exist for everyone. Because no, it can't. Because every, right. every 50-0 and 0 you get is 0-50%. Like, it's just impossible. Like, it, it doesn't exist. I suppose the reason I'm torn is... And there's probably loads of people like listening to this thinking like I'm just being an idiot. Like why would I try and advocate for smurfing? But because when you okay, your analogy about the running the race, if you say like yeah, you're the number ten in the world and you get beaten every single week that you go racing, uh, you come ten tenth out of ten every single time, and you could just go to the park and you could challenge anybody in the park to a to a race, and you're gonna destroy them because you're running just running as any old Joe Blogs in the park. That is not the same as going to like a county level race where you know they're good you know they're fast and you know that the some the, the fastest races there think they're hot shit and then you obliterate them there's, there's yeah, gotta be a feeling of like going back to of when i was a big fish in a little pond i wonder uh, yeah that everyone wants that feeling but i'm just yeah. saying like that that's not really it's like because isn't there's a word for when people do that in pool right when they try and downplay how good they are to try and encourage people to gamble on the outside. Yeah, sh sh shark, shark, shark. Yeah. I don't, but I know pool sharks are a thing. I wasn't sure if it was sharking or like, but just like, yes, almost like sandbagging. I like to, I feel like that's actually professional wrestling terminology, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like that, that shit gets people beaten up. Um, It's, yeah, I just, and like uh, someone like Al Ashley in the chat making the comment about like streamers and content creators. I definitely know what it's like to uh, watch a streamer play, you know, like let, let's say a battle royale game because yeah, that was when I was getting into watching streamers play games like uh, Warzone and PUBG and and Apex Legends were kind of really growing on platforms like Twitch. And it would suck when your favorite content creator kind of reached a ceiling where they did have lobbies that they would sometimes go into and die immediately. Yeah. And then you're watching a content creator spend more time in loading screens than in a game because whether it's through MMR or skill-based matchmaking or whatever the case may be, they've kind of reached this awkward point where they're actually in extremely well-balanced lobbies playing people who are just as good at, if not better than them. And you then inevitably, and the content creator, start pining for the days where they could get into some dodgy lobby, maybe use a VPN, like get a cheeky Mexican Warzone lobby and drop a 20 bomb or something like that. But yeah, like... Um, and, and that makes it even more complicated because that's... I mean, almost undoubtedly more entertaining. Um, but it's still just, I think it's a, like a, it, it's a net negative for uh, from a community perspective. It is. It is from a community perspective, and it definitely is from a company perspective. Um, it's like because Valve have said themselves, um, Dota is a game that's best played played on an even playing field, and that's and as far as they're concerned, it's, it ruins the experience for other people who you know who aren't. Um, who aren't to the same level and are then having to play players who are much better, which like th that's the one thing I, d I completely disagree with is if you, if you unknowingly are playing a higher ranked player, who's trying to smurf, you know, and again, play in a, in a lobby against you and you don't know, and you don't want to do that, then that's our, that's really bad because you're then, like you said, that person's going to lose and they're going to feel like crap. 
and their their um, rank's going to go down or whatever, um, and it's a no fault of their own. It all, it needs to be on the up and up. They need to know what's happening. Maybe it's all, maybe it should be maybe the way they should do it is to say if you play a higher rank player and you get I don't know X rewards or something like it's a real high, real high risk, real high reward for a lower rank player. Like I don't know if they already do something. Maybe that maybe there's some weird way that someone can figure out how to but, accommodate. But uh, yeah, because the, also the problem with smurfing is that these are people who would would be creating alternate accounts specifically to hide the yes. fact they are high level players. So you like you wouldn't really be able to reward performance based on that because the problem is they're trying to be anonymous about it. Yes, but then of course, yeah, but then we're saying like obviously Valve, are, well, they've found ninety thousand of them, so obviously they're doing something right when it comes to actually tracking these yeah. accounts down. Um, no, that's fair. I think yeah, fair enough. I've got to smurfing people, ain't good. People don't people don't like level playing fields. That's the bottom line here. If you if you, everyone thinks they want a level playing field until they really experience what a level playing field is like, and then if you offer them a leg up on that level playing field, they will take it. I do I do think because Valve obviously talked about um, how they really don't like people cheating and you, you hacking and stuff on their games. Obviously, I don't think smurfing and hacking or cheating are in the same league. Like being really good at a game and playing people that aren't as good is one thing. Cheating because you are a knob is, is something else. Yeah, that, cheating. I think that's different. Although, yeah, because here we are talking about like permanent account bans sound like a bit of a stretch for smurfing. Permanent account bans are not a stretch for cheating. No, uh, most, most che yeah, cheating is you know that should be a bare minimum met with uh, account bans um, because it's not on, folks. It's not on. Don't cheat in PvP games it's not um and at the risk of making a slightly too flippant segue um there are some other people that have been perma banned from volition um because volition has been shut down wow jensey you just that's you're, you're, you're joking about unemployment at, at, at the core of that joke is hundreds of people who are now collecting I'm not joking about unemployment I'm I'm stretching a segue the only way that I could when that's where we were at. That was that was not laughing anyone. That was an unfortunate linguistic <laughs> formula formula that happened there. Um, yeah, so Volition, obviously, uh, the studio behind um, Saints Row, Red Faction, um, have uh, they're being shut down effective immediately. Um, they are owned by Embracer Group, which we've sort of talked about a few times. That um, whilst they like to embrace companies, they also like to let them go, um, and they've let someone else go. In this instance, um, so this was part of um, Embrace's restructuring. I think they actually they were trying to do a deal with um, a Saudi uh, some Saudi investment investors. I think it was for like two billion dollars um, yeah. around that sort of mark, um, and they were hoping that that deal would mean that they didn't need to make um, redundancies. But that has not come off, and so uh, you know the result of that is that they've decided to make uh, three hundred and forty people um, redundant, which yeah is horrendous like my slightly flippant segue aside um it does suck and it's it's all the more difficult because obviously saints row for height of being nice saints row was less than um good and <laughs> what we hoped it was going to be well, um, yeah earlier this year less, less than good yeah. less than good uh and unfortunately in the climate we're in at the moment you know, underperforming is is a real shame for some people. Um, yeah. Thoughts? <laughs> Very. No, you, you're a big Saints Row fan. I know you've been a fan of Volition in the past. 
this does I think I think that I think that's why this kind of like sucks the most is that um the listen have been around uh, for a long time the listen have been around for as long as I have um in a weird kind of way of putting it um and while my kind of like personal history of volition really only started around the time of the first Saints Row, I, I loved um, all of those Saints Row games up until um, their final, you know, effort. Um, even you know, th- you know th- through that ori- original sort of like quadrilogy or whatever you want to call it. I know some people like to split them down the middle, and some people are fans of one and two, and some people fans of three and four. Like I, I liked all four of those games for what they were, um, and I've, I'm I, I'm the guy that still brings up Red Faction Guerrilla. Um, quite a lot like i think i brought it up in at least one podcast inside the last like three or four because i still think that game sports some of the best uh destruction physics that um have been seen in that nature (laughs) the meccano destruction right Josie? absolutely um so it's a real bummer and um but it's a tough one when it comes to the like the knowing the right the role of embrace group and all this because you're right like there are two kind of like sort of elements at play here one is Embracer Group and how they have had this kind of like frustratingly like blase approach to kind of like acquiring lots of different studios, not seeming to put a, a huge amount of like, or whether it's not allowing studios to put a lot of TLC into the end products, or whether it's Embracer Group and kind of like putting unfair restrictions in terms of budgetary uh, restrictions or development timelines on these games. And the end products usually end up coming out, uh, coming out a little bit rough around the edges. I know there haven't been a huge amount of studios necessarily that have testified to that, but at, at some point we are waiting for Embracer Group to come good on all the studios that they've absorbed and all the IP they now own. Um, and Volition and that Saints Row reboot were far from being isolated incidents when it comes to Embracer Group's poor output. And then you get you you add in that deal that did fall through with the you know supposed Saudi Arabian Investment Group or whatever whatever they ended up being. Um, and it's like, is this an Embracer problem? Like, are, are Volition kind of like the sacrificial lamb because? Of, of embraces bad business practices i don't know on the flip side you've got the fact that that saints row reboot was um a frustrating misfire it disappointed a lot of fans it financially underperformed and then you go back prior to that to um with with volition in particular and that you know obviously agents of mayhem they were still they weren't a part of embrace group at the time but agents of mayhem did not um do it for either volition fans or, or, or gamers in general that game underperformed massively DLC-wise, you can go back to, like, Gat Out of Hell, um, and that wasn't a big heavy hitter. And so in some respects, you're talking about, okay, even if you liked Saints Row 4, which I very much did, but I know not everyone did, even if you liked Saints Row 4, you're talking about a studio that hasn't really released a game that's fired on all cylinders for a decade. And can studios afford to remain in business if that is their track record? In a cutthroat industry as the video games industry, perhaps, the, the I don't know if this is not me not being generous enough, but perhaps the answer should be no. Like perhaps this is just a reflection of the nature of the, the the projects they've taken on, the work they've been able to do on those projects, and the fact that you know between Agents of Mayhem and and the Saints Row reboot, they just didn't get it right, and that's what we're here. I think the reality, as is often the case with the games industry, is that it's probably a combination of all these things, and it's a reflection on issues on the publisher side and the developer side. Um, I just think it's a real shame because there are. Um, there are, you know, Volition games that will remain very close to my heart now, um, you know, for as long as I'm around. Um, and to know that that team is gone, to know that, like, what is, you know, a 30, 30-year-old 30 studio just no longer exists. Like, layoffs on one thing, but anyone losing their jobs in the game industry is always sad. But when an entire company can just get kind of, like, 
wiped off the face of the planet, almost reminiscent of the same way that EA used to do it with like studios in the mid noughties and you know Westwood and Pandemic and Maxis and whoever would just get like wiped off the face of the planet, and you're just like, fuck, man, that that sucks. Like, even the name is gone now. Even what that company stood for is gone now. No one ever likes seeing that. Um, and I've got to be honest, the fact that the Saints Row IP and the Red Faction IP are still in circulation, you know, somewhere within the Ingracer group's clutches, or, you know, brings me no, like, th there's no redemptive arc to that, you know, um, that doesn't make me feel any better about the whole situation. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a sad one. It, and it, that harkens back to, I think, what my reaction to Saints Row was when we played it last year. I was sad more than anything else. I don't, I can't remember. Maybe I was a little bit angry about Saints Row. I can't remember, but I, I, I'm more sad about it than anything else because no one wanted it to go this way. And the, yeah, it's not it's not positive for anybody, is it? When it when a game underperforms um, to the to the degree that Saints Row did. Yeah, exactly. And the, and the, and video games are a better place with a good Saints Row game on the market. You know, um, and it's, it's funny. Yeah. You, I, I I completely agree with you, and I I think, but it, it kind of in some respects it makes me. It makes me have more of a negative view of um, of st studios being bought by big um, companies because, in some sense, like it, it reminds me of watching like that Double Fine documentary, um, and they talk about uh, um, Carver's name, Tim, whatever his name is, the uh, head honcho, talks about a time when. Uh, Sorry, I was drinking. Schaefer, so, thank you. Yeah, Tim Schaefer. He talks about a time when they were having real problems, um, and they went to the, effectively to the point where they probably would have gone out of business and he went and got uh, spoke to a friend um and borrowed like i think it was like two hundred and forty thousand dollars um to keep yeah, it, was like a, it was like a it was like a a month or a few months payroll or something yeah and that and that basically kept the company going um and then it allowed the company to sort of like come back to life again and it may you know managed to make mean that they could make some deliverables and get some cash back in the business um there it you you kind of hope that in some respect it, if volition was on its own that they may have had to do a load of layoffs. They may have had to even like sell some IP or they may have had to do other things, but they effectively could have like tread water for a while and then maybe their fortunes turn. Maybe they managed to get out a good product that people buy. Maybe they managed to make something come good. The, one of the problems seems to be when you're bought out by a big company and they own you is that when they have financial dif difficulties, it makes so much more sense for them to go, do you know what? They failed with um, the Saints Row reboot. Therefore, we're going to get rid of this 340 people there. We don't have to fire people from other businesses if we do that. Let's just can the mm. whole lot, keep the IP. And as you said, like you then lose a studio which has been around for 30 years. And it, it weirdly as well, like um, Saints Row, not in its you know most recent iteration, but there's something to be said for a game which is almost like a bit of a parody of uh, you know one of the biggest games in the industry like Grand Theft Auto. And the fact that they were doing something a little bit different, they were they were more edgy, and to kind of lose that, um, yeah. Even if they weren't that anymore in the same way, but to lose that from the games industry seems like more of a a bad thing than just losing another rat, like another studio with a lot of people. Yeah, it's funny because even then, I think you kind of like touched on one of maybe the problems that the, the Saints Row reboot was battling, which is that Saints Row, having had four very different games. Um, is a lot of things to a lot of people and the extent to which it straddled that line between like GTA clone to GTA parody to its own thing um, you know different people kind of dipped in and out of what parts of that sort of world they enjoyed as that series progressed 
Um, and I, I don't know what the future should have been for Saints Row. I don't know what that reboot should have been like, and I don't know what you know a, a future Saints Row that could have theoretically gone head to head with GTA Six, for example, like could have or should have or would have looked like. But yeah, um, I think we agree that um, that that it's a bummer that, that, that something like that that did exist and uh, is going to have uh, like I know a special place in a lot of people's hearts, not just my own, doesn't exist anymore. And that for Volition, I get maybe there was no world in which Embracer ever saw a you know the the, the reboot being as perhaps poorly reviewed as it uh, as as it was or missing its sales targets by as much as it did. And again, we don't know what the targets were. But like I remember, I looked it up and it's like it did still you know hit number one in the in the charts like the week it came out. It did hit a, a million players in a, around two months from release. You know, this isn't a game that sold nothing. This isn't, and again, I don't know how long it was in development for. I don't know how big this, like, I don't know how many of the 340-odd people at Volition were exclusively working on it, for example, um, and how much the team grew uh, during that development phase and during the development period. But, like, it's not a game that made no money. It's not an IP that's worth no money. And I also think, to a certain extent, it's not an IP that people would have fully given up on had they seen that there was a genuine redemptive arc in the making for it, whether that was through another reboot or a complete rethink of what that franchise was. And I think it's kind of sucks that when you look at Volition, kind of, let's say, on the precipice of um, of the Embrace Group acquisition, and you told them, like, hey, you are one Saints Row misfire away from being wiped off the face of the planet. Yeah. They're going like, Ugh, that's not the security we thought we were getting bought into. Um, kind of like, we, it goes back to what you were saying about, like, Psychonauts and Double Fine and like the the like even when it comes to Microsoft and their well, their positive track record with uh, Xbox Game Studios so far, there you can go back and watch the moment that Tim Schafer reveals that they've been bought or that or Microsoft have agreed to acquire them, and you can see some faces drop because like some people um, almost as, as cutthroat and as, as as much as you can live on a knife edge, some people prefer and understand the independent lifestyle a lot more because. It can be a lot more cut and dry when it comes to money and 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 um, and lifelines uh, than than the corporate world. And bit, and bit too close to home, isn't it? As well, like, we're, well like, we've, yeah, we've like, been through like exact, almost exactly the situation. I like were yeah, and uh, we we we've sat in front of people and said we can do this, that, and the other, and we can change all these things. We can pay for ourselves. We can be a portion of the, uh, your company that you can ignore, and we will at least cover ourselves in terms of the revenue we generate if not generate a profit and to have someone turn around and say we actually just it's not really about how much money you make we just don't really want this thing or whether it's you or the product or anything you don't really want you around anymore which is so, yeah. which when you're on your own is um as an independent entity is is it would be ridiculous but yeah when you're part of a big a big company and they're just like actually no it just doesn't it's just not in our uh five-year plan it's not in our three-year yeah. plan it's not in our six-month plan see you later Bye. it's uh, exactly. uh yeah so no but um yeah sad times for volition um that does suck hopefully it's, it's a weird one because in some respects um uh, like as you said it doesn't do much to suggest that those ips are still there floating around at embracer group it, if you ended up with like a good saints row game down the line it's funny because it would almost feel like slightly worse um, because you'd think, well, if that was possible and Volition could have still been there. But at the same time, a lot of fans obviously would really like to see that. I um, mean, it's still a possibility uh, in the future. So, you know, yeah. wait and see. After uh, wait and see. I don't know. What, yeah, I don't, I don't know what Embracer Group have planned, but like, 
like it or not, that Saints Row name carries a lot more weight than plenty of other, you know, uh, trademarks out there in the video game sphere, um, even after the failure of last year's title. And um, usually when the people involved, um, you know, I'd, I'd, when money is the, is, is, is the name of the game, no pun intended, then, then, then something of that value doesn't just go away overnight. Like, Saints Row will be back and it might take a little while and I don't know what the fuck it will look like, but... Yeah, that's just the reality of these things. Absolutely. Um, and the reality of this thing, Jamie, is that we're at the end of the show. Oh, baby, we made it. We did. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining us for this live, or if you indeed are joining us later on um, in the week for the recorded version on uh, YouTube or on a podcast platform, um, or if you're checking us out on paisleyradio.com. Um, thank you so much for uh, being here, for listening, for commenting, for all those good things. Uh, if you do want to join the uh, Patreon, head over to patreon.com forward slash super show. Um, head over to the Discord. Say hello. Give us a shout. And we'll um, yeah. welcome you, as will our lovely community. Um, but with that, nothing else to say except see you next week. Bye, everyone.